0: It's a story for another day. So, anyways, yeah. So, these are your dates. Um, first fruits, the 16th, uh, it's when they would uh, wave the barley sheaf in the temple. It was the offering of the first fruits of um, the barley harvest, which is the beginning of the agricultural season in in Israel. And the barley is ties in intricately into uh, when Passover is, is because the first month of um of the year has to be when the barley is in Aviv, it's a certain stage of ripeness, so that during the month of, or the week, I'm sorry, of unleavened bread, they could go and they could offer that that chief offering of, uh, of uh, barley to God in the temple. And so it had to be to a certain ripeness stage to be able to offer that first fruits. So, and that's what determines the first month of the year um, for the biblical season because it's all agriculturally based and it goes on um, uh, the seasons and, and the uh, climate, basically. And, and what God does. It's, it's fascinating to me how that, when when it's tied to, um, the beginning of something is tied to a certain ripeness of a, of a grain, that's intricately controlled by uh, the environment, which is controlled by God. And, and, and that's what he says. If you obey me, I'll send the rain, and I'll send those things that will cause the crops to grow to keep you alive. Because, and and that's part of what all these festivals are all about. Passover is a little bit unique, but all about you know praising God for him supplying the food to keep you alive throughout the year. And so it's an agricultural uh, calendar, which is very foreign to us because we're used to arbitrary dates that are just basically set by um, what the celestial bodies are doing in the sky. Uh, and that does play into the biblical calendar, but it's not uh, its not the only factor. You've got the sun, the moon... Um, and the uh, and, and what's going on in the environment around what's going on with crops and harvest. So we're going to pray and then we're going to talk about Passover today. Yes, question in the back. Wait,
1: is the 16th a no work day or is
0: the gonna... no? And no, It's it's just uh, it's just so um, okay. It's it's just a Sunday.
1: It's the Shavuot is a no work day.
0: Correct. Day, okay. Right. Right. Which is 50 days from that day. Oh, 40, 49, 50, 50 days. Are... Yeah. Yep. Good question. All right, let's pray, and then we'll uh, start Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for the Shabbat. I thank you as we lead up to um, Passover that you've given us these holidays to be able to uh, celebrate, to be able to remember uh, what you did for uh, us as a people and bringing your people out of Egypt, but also for uh, redeeming them from their sins as you hung on the cross and shed your blood to uh, to cleanse away our sins. So I, as we look into this today, we, I pray that you would uh, just teach us from your word, and um, that it may be clear, and uh, that we would just, uh, I don't know, be awed by how awesome you are, God, and, and all that you've done for us, and that we may go forth and serve you as your children born again. And uh, so I just thank you for these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. Alright, so today, like I said, we're talking about Passover. Passover begins um, next week. Uh, And so, first thing I want to talk about is Passover specifically. Today's going to be a little bit, somewhat all over the place, um, because there's so much you can cover and talk about in this topic, and uh, there's controversy in it like anything, but first thing I want to talk about is specifically Passover. We usually call Passover the whole thing, meaning the 14th day of the first month, which is the month of Aviv, which Aviv means ripe, ripeness of the barley. And so, but biblically speaking, Passover is not the day. Passover and and so where terminology becomes very important when looking into these holidays because it will dictate what you get out of what you're reading. Does that make sense? So if you're interpreting these words as one thing and it's not actually what the Bible says, you might end up doing something different inadvertently. So, just to clarify terminology, Passover is the lamb. Because it is that which was put on the doorpost such that God passed over their houses and didn't allow the destroyer to come in and kill their firstborn sons. So that lamb is the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb. The day is not technically called Passover. It's just the 14th of Aviv. And it was the day which you would bring your lamb, uh, uh, well, in Egypt they slaughtered it at their house, or you would bring your lamb to the tabernacle, the uh, uh, temple, and you would sacrifice your lamb on that day. It was also the day that you got all the leaven out of your houses. Because the week of unleavened bread, which is actually really what the festival is, is the festival of unleavened bread, is a week long, seven days, and it begins immediately following Passover, which is the 15th day of the month. And that day, the 15th, is the festival of unleavened bread. It's no work day. It extends for a month. And the last day, the seventh day of unleavened bread that week, is a no work day. So you have a seven day festival that uh, a week of unleavened bread, you only eat unleavened bread. And in fact, you're commanded to eat unleavened bread each day during that that week. And so uh, you would get all the leaven out of your house on the 14th. You would slaughter your lamb late afternoon, early evening. You roast your lamb at home. You'd eat your lamb that night as you were going into the fifteenth day, under the first day of unleavened bread, and that 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 week would be uh, begin unleavened bread. Uh, and you would then on that Sunday, the middle count of the week, the day. Uh, that, there's debate on that as well, but as far as I'm concerned, <sighs> first fruits is always the day after the weekly Sabbath. Within the week of of Unleavened Bread. So this week, it's Sunday, Unleavened Bread. I'm sorry, this year, Unleavened Bread begins um, on a uh, Wednesday evening and goes to the following week. And so it's that Sunday during the week of Unleavened Bread that first fruits is. Uh, And that's where you start counting the omer, which is the offering of uh, barley flour, leading up to Shavuot, which is the wheat harvest, so you see all the agricultural connections there, so that's kind of terminology and dates, so what we're going to do is we're going to start out in um, Exodus chapter 12, if you want to go there, <coughs> we're going to read from Exodus chapter 12, and then we're going to go into um, into the New Testament. start reading. Exodus 12 verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. That's very important. Uh, In in Judaism they uh, call Yom Teruah the day of trumpets uh, Rosh Hashanah which is not what the Bible calls it. Uh, that actually is Babylonian influence that happened after the Babylonian exile. And so the, and the Torah portion starts over at the end of the year. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that uh, this month of Aviv is the first first month of the year. So, happy New Year.
1: Quick question. Yeah. Why
0: does the calendar say the month of Nisan? The, Nisan is, the, is a Babylonian name. So, most of the names that you see, uh, uh, Adar, uh, Think of any other ones right now. Those are all actually Babylonian month names. And so when they came out of exile from Babylon, they brought a lot of that with them. And so it just became common nomenclature to call them by uh, the uh, the Babylonian names. Well and you'll and you'll see some of those in the Bible. But it's a, it's a little bit later on typically, uh, when after the Babylonian exile, during the Babylonian exile. So yeah. but like Biblically, you'll, you'll see it um, pre-Babylonian exile. You'll see it referred to as the month of Eve. Alright, so, verse 3. Speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, you shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. Okay, so first thing they were supposed to do is on the 10th of the month, which is actually today. I meant to bring it with us. Uh, you gonna make, would select. Huh? We're going to make sheep. Yeah, they're gonna make sheep in in uh, Shabbat school class. So on the
1: tasty. Oh no 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 no.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, okay. So on the tenth of the month, which is today, four days before the Passover, you would bring your you would select your lamb, and he would be brought into um, he would be brought into the, uh, your home, and you would kind of analyze this lamb and make sure it, w- it was perfect. And it's interesting how this lamb would basically become kind of part of the family um, and uh, and would live in and amongst the, the family, and then you would kill your lamb. And so, you know, it, it was a, a, you know, it wasn't a, 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 as much of a warm, fuzzy thing as, like, we might like to think, you know. It was, it would be sad, you know. It would be kind of like taking the family dog and slitting his throat, you know. <laughs> Depends how much you like your dog, I guess.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, sh- just wait. Uh, so that was what would happen on the 10th. You were to take this lamb and you were to select it from, or 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 from the goat, uh, and you were supposed to bring it in. Now, uh, another important thing to keep in mind is, because this was for all Israel, whether you were rich or poor, this is something that you were commanded to do by God, and so you had to plan for this. This was something... Mm-hmm. Uh, that you had to plan for and actually within the biblical um, outlines for a tithe you're actually commanded to save a certain m- amount of money out of your income so that you can go to Jerusalem because this is one of the three pilgrimage festivals where all the males had to appear before God in Jerusalem so wherever you were you had to trek on down to Jerusalem bring your land with you and or get it in Jerusalem and um, uh, and then and then Sacrifice it there, and you had money. You had that money to do that. The other thing that's interesting is if you were coming from far away and you didn't bring your lamb with you, and you brought it there. Part of what Yeshua was uh, railing against the leaders of the day was they had created an artificial market, an inflated market around Jerusalem, so that um, if you wanted to buy a lamb there, it'd be four times as much as it would be in you know your home village. Also, it did get to the point in in some sacrifices. I'm not sure if it was like this with Passover, but you couldn't. I'm sorry. Actually, it wasn't with the animals. To be able to buy something like an offer a lamb for an offering, you had to use the temple money. You had to use a certain currency, and again, it was on a form of. Uh, uh, Inflated exchange rate, so that your money didn't go as far, so it made everything exorbitantly expensive. So they were fleecing the flock, as it were. And so that's why when Yeshua went in the temple and he ripped over and turned over the tables of the money changers, that was that was what was going on. He they were uh, abusing the people, and they turned it into a den of thieves. And so that's what he was ripping mad about, because this was something that all Israel was supposed to do, commanded by God, and they were they were putting a stumbling block between the people. And God by their uh, their own commandments, and um, He was not pleased with that. And so that, just to give you a little uh, bit of background on that. Okay, so they were also the other important thing um, is to keep in mind here is Passover is something you do with your family and perhaps your neighbor next to you if you uh, uh, if your family's not big enough to eat a lamb. And so it's not a corporate thing; it's a very individual family thing which is very important. Um, and as we'll see when we, as we read this narrative and we start to talk about what happened in Egypt, because um, it, it's become popular in the Messianic movement and even in churches to have a congregation Passover. And we actually used to do that. But as back in the day, when, as Glenn and I started, you know, studying this a little more, came come to see that really what we're supposed to do biblically is, is it's just a family thing. So... Um, so we're trying to, in the exile, do the best we can and, and remember these holidays and festivals as best as, best as we can. Um, really what we're doing uh, with Passover and unleavened bread is not actually Passover because we're, one, not in Jerusalem. Two, there's no temple. And three, um, when, you know, none of us are clean and we're not even, you know, so we're not doing it as we're supposed to. Uh, because we can't right now, but God knew all that was going to happen, and so that's part of what was what, what went on with Yeshua and, and him being our uh, the Lamb of God who intercedes for us on our behalf in the heavenly temple. Okay, so let's keep going on. Uh, da, da. Six, and you shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Then shall you take the blood, and strike it on the two side posts, and on the upper post of the house, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, and shall eat it. Nor eat of it raw, nor sodden it at all with water, but roast it with fire, with its head, its legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until morning ye shall burn with fire. So they were supposed to keep it till the 14th and then the whole of Israel would slaughter this lamb and they were to, uh, in Israel they were supposed to, uh, Egypt I'm sorry, they were supposed to put the blood on the doorpost of their houses on the top and the bottom um, and um, and then they were to roast it with fire, they were to go into their houses and they were to eat it with unliving bread and with bitter herbs they were to eat it. Um, in the today's modern, depending on what Seder book you're using, uh, what? Haggadah, um, haggadah, Thank you. What Haggadah you're you're using? They may have they have typically a Seder plate with all different things on it to kind of walk you through the story of the of the Passover. None of that, I suppose, is wrong or bad, but to me, I like to stick to what I can see and read. And so, even our Passover Seder has gone through various forms um, throughout the years. It's changed a little bit every year, in, in fact, as, as we do things a little bit differently. But anymore, um, uh, we don't have a Seder plate, per se, with, uh, with the egg and, and all these different little things on it. I, I suppose that's fine if you want to do that, but anymore, we've come to where it's pretty much... You know, we have lamb, we have uh, bitter herbs, and we have um, uh, unleavened bread. We do have haroset, you know, some of the more traditional things. And there's nothing wrong with that, to add in your own tradition um, into these, into these hol- holidays, into these festivals. Um, but I guess the key thing is don't let those become elevated above what God has given us and told us to do, you know, in these things. So they'd slaughter their lamb. They'd take this lamb on the tenth day. Um, it's interesting as you read the the New Testament. I'm not going to get into that. We don't have time to read everything. But as Yeshua went into Jerusalem and he was led in on a donkey, and uh, they they said Hosanna, Hosanna, and they put the palm trees down, and then he went in and he and he dialogued with the people in it. It was very much the same thing. The Lamb of God going in and being tested and found there's nothing wrong with this guy. There is no sin in him. And so it was the same thing with with. The lamb that the Israelites would have, and that lamb was put for the family, just as Yeshua was put for his family, his people, his children, so that when the angel of death, the destroyer, would come, he would pass over that family because they were, uh, they, they, they had um, that lamb had taken their place instead of uh, instead of them dying. And so what they did with this lamb is they, they slit its throat, they drained the blood into the um, into a basin, they put it on the doorposts, and then they walked through that door into the home, into literally God's home, basically. And then went through the door, through his blood, to be adopted as his sons, as it were, so that the destroyer would pass over. Because it says, you know, uh, Israel, my son, have I drawn out of Egypt. And, uh, and so that's the same thing as what Yeshua did for us. He shed his blood. He is the door. And he put himself for his people so that they could be his his children and be um, uh, washed clean of the old man, their old their sin. All right, so let's keep going. Doo-doo-doo. So they were to eat it, the whole thing. They weren't to boil it. They were to roast it with fire and let none of it and rain it remain until morning, and whatever they didn't eat, they were to burn up with fire. And eleven, thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's jehovah's Passover. So there we see, the lamb is Yehovah's Passover. And they were to eat it, ready to go, because they were going to be leaving Egypt that very morning that was coming up. 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will execute judgment. I am Yahweh, and the blood will be to you for a token upon the house where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day shall be unto you for a memorial. Shall keep it a feast to Yehovah throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an ordinance forever. That's really important, right there, because there's (coughs) there's even some who say, oh, well, we shouldn't even be doing Passover because we're not, you know, we're in exile, we're not in Israel, we're not, you know, there is no temple, so we shouldn't even be doing it. But that's not what God says. It says we shall be doing it um, forever Forever throughout our generations. Forever doesn't end. That's right exactly right so though we may not be doing everything perfect there's so many things we could read here too there's another portion in um, passage in, uh, in the prophets or the kings it might be where uh, they rededicate the temple and they hold uh, Passover and it hasn't been held for a long time and a lot of people from the northern king- kingdom come down and they observe the Passover too but they're, they're unclean when they eat of it they're not perfect they don't do it right But, I think as King, he he prays to God for the people, to heal the people, because even though they're they're a mess and a disaster, and they're not doing it right, they are turning back to their God to try to obey Him and serve Him with their heart, even though they're not doing things correctly. And God um, accepts that. He does heal the people. He doesn't curse them. And so I think it's the same thing for Fifteen, seven Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. And whosoever eateth leavened bread from that, uh, from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh days there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which uh, every man must eat, and only may. That only may be done for you. So that first and last days of the week of Unleavened Bread, they're a holy convocation. You don't do any of your normal work, but you can uh, cook. Whereas on a typical Sabbath, you're not supposed to cook or bake. Um, but on, on, on these days, you, you may cook. 17, you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For in this cell same day, I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generation by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until uh, the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leaven, every even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether it be a stranger or born in the land. Yea, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations, shall you eat unleavened bread. So uh, in case you didn't get it, we're not supposed to eat leaven bread, And you're supposed to get it out of your house. Uh, you're not supposed to hide it in your garage. You're not supposed to put it in your, in your, uh, your woodshed. You're supposed to get, a, get it out of your dwellings. And you're not supposed to sell it to your neighbor and then buy it back after. That's actually a, a common uh, Jewish thing. They'll sell it to a um, a local Gentile. And they'll be like, here, we'll sell it to you for ten bucks. And then we'll buy it back to you for ten bucks after the end of uh, unleavened bread. It's like that just to me defeats the whole purpose, you know. It's like here's my sin, but I'll buy it back from you later. <laughs> 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 right. So, um, so God's pretty clear about that. Um, Where were we? 70- 21, 20. Twenty-one. There we go. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two side posts uh, with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for Yehovah will pass through and smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood on the lintel and on the two side posts, Yehovah will pass over your door and not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you come to the land which Yehovah will give you, according to his promise, promised, that you shall keep this service. And it will come to pass when your children say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Uh, that you shall say, it is the sacrifice of Jehovah's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when uh, he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped And the children of Israel went away and did as Jehovah had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight Jehovah smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat upon uh, his throne under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians that were, and there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called up for Moses and Aaron uh, by night and said, "Rise up and get ye forth from among my people, both he and the children of Israel." And the servia, Hobab, he said, also take your flocks and your herds, if ye said, and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians went were urgent among the upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We're all good dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading doughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. They borrowed from the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. And Jehovah gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that uh, they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cow. Um, a lot of people believe that when they went from Ramses to Sukkoth, that's when they picked up um, uh, Joseph's bones, because um, Moses brought Joseph's bones with them up out of Egypt and they buried him in the land. And. Um, uh so that's what they did. God went through the land after they would put the blood on the doorposts and, and all those who were not marked by his blood, by the blood of the lamb, uh, were killed the firstborn because there's there's only two seeds. Cuz the name cuz the per, the importance of the firstborn is the firstborn is the one who gets the inheritance and who carries the family name. And so you have kind of the That which carries the inheritance and the name of the world, which is what Egypt typifies, and that which carries the name and the inheritance of God. And there's only one that survives. And you either enter through the door, Yeshua, through the blood, Yeshua, of the Lamb, and are saved and are adopted as his son and are in his family, or you're in the world. You know, There's only two gates. There's only two ways. The narrow gate and the broad gate.
1: Yes? On the... uh when they did the blood uh, on the doorpost and the lamppost. Or yeah. The door, yeah, on the side. yeah. Now that was, was that just for the first Passover or every year when they do Passover do they do the same thing?
0: As far as I understand, it was just the first one.
1: Just the first one? Yeah. yeah. But it keeps saying forever, so I didn't know if that means they do that too because they kill a, I mean, they used to kill a lamb every year when right. the temple was there, so I didn't know if they reenacted the whole thing or just
0: yeah, that's a good question, Paul. I don't. I don't think it was the subsequent ones. I believe it was just the first one, um, because uh, to protect them, basically, when God passed through the, the land. But I could be wrong. That's a good question. Okay, so they went out, and with all their people and animals and everything, uh, thirty-nine, and they baked unleavened cakes of dough. Which they brought forth out of Egypt. There was not, uh, for it was not leaven, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry. Neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who went, uh, who dwelt in Egypt, was four hundred and thirty years. And it came to pass, at the end of the four hundred and thirty years, in the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the host of Jehovah went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto Yehovah for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of Yehovah to be observed of all the children of Israel and all in their generations. And Yehovah said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. Only God's people. But every man's servant that is bought for money when now hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. That's important. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, who will keep the Passover of Yahovah, let all his males be circumcised, and let him come near and keep it. Then he shall be as one that is born of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel as Jehovah commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Now it's just incredible what happened. You know, That that many people left all at once, you know. They went to the mountain. And so, and he brings up uh, at the end there that uh, a uh, no stranger shall eat it. In other words, that person who is not has not bound themselves to the God of Israel, um, uh, who has has basically uh, what would we say assimilated or immigrated essentially. You know, uh, pledged allegiance. They're not to eat thereof because it is. It is the sign, it's the uh, part of enacting a covenant between them and God that they they are now his people. Because that lamb has taken the place of, um, taking the penalty for their sin that has separated from them from God. Because only uh, purity can dwell with God. And that's that's why um, even when they go to the temple with uh, the ashes of the red heifer, all these things point to what God has done and does for his people in taking their sins upon himself and purifying his people so that they can dwell with him and be, be able to be in his presence. So the whole tabernacle, tep- temple represents and what this represents. And so if a stranger wanted to uh, eat the Passover, um, they had to come near and they had to all be circumcised. They had to, which uh, symbolized the the uh putting off of the old man that 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 other way that that flesh that no, that dies because now they're a new creation and they do things a different way now and they follow God so that is um, uh, that is the story of the Passover and if we go now... Let's go to Jeremiah 31, 31. That's everybody knows that's the new covenant passage, but it's gonna tie into what Yeshua talks about. Because part of the Passover story is then they go to Mount Sinai. Because what Moses said, or what God tells Moses is, you're gonna go, you're gonna bring the people out, and then you're gonna bring them back to this mountain to serve me. And, and so he leads them out. He saves them, right? They're born again as a new people. But then he brings them to the mountain, to his presence, where he then teaches them their new culture, you know, who they are now, how they live, what they do. And they enter into this covenant before God. So if we go to Jeremiah 31 31, um, what, what you read, as you read through on the grand scheme of the Bible, is this covenant. Um, it's constantly having to be renewed, basically, because the people keep breaking it. And um, and God, in his mercy, has mercy upon the people and um, and does continually renew this, this uh, covenant. Because it's, it's it has to be taken upon each generation. Because that's why when the people were getting ready to go into the land, Moses said, this... This wasn't a covenant made with her forefathers. All you, all of you stood at the, the foot of the mountain and have and engaged in this covenant. So every generation, every person has to be born again, and then has to uh, uh, take upon them this new uh, uh, covenant, this and, and the, per, and the um, stipulations thereof. It's just like when you get married. You know, there's there's a contractual agreement there that you're going to be faithful to your mate. And you're going to do X, Y, and Z. It's the same thing with God. It's not you know we're in a relationship now, and I do whatever I want, you know whatever I feels good. You know that just leads to chaos, which we see regularly. So Jeremiah 30, 31. <clears throat> Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith Yehovah, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith Yehovah, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor. And every man his brother, saying, No, Yehovah, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith Yehovah. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. And and so that's an important passage to keep in mind because Yeshua is going to say, This is my blood, the new covenant. So let's go to a couple passages just to tie in what we were saying. Go to John 1.29 is where Yeshua says he's the land, or I'm sorry, not, not Yeshua, uh, John. says, Behold the Lamb of God. So John 129. <laughs> Oh, let Let's go back, let's start in 26 actually. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Shulach, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeing Yeshua coming unto him said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now that was a pretty big statement for him to make when he saw uh, when he saw, saw Yeshua there. But, they, but he recognized that Yeshua was that Lamb of God, that perfect. Uh, one who was coming uh, to take away the sin of uh, the world of his people. All right, go to John 10. 7 and 9. Or, sorry, 7 and 9. Yeshua said unto them, Again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Remember that door that they put the blood on All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not hear them. For I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. So Yeshua is that door through which we enter, through his blood, to be saved. Uh... Alright, now let's go to Luke chapter 22.
1: 22.
0: All right, verse 13. Uh, Luke 22, 13. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready for the Passover. When the hour was coming, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, What desire have to eat this Passover with you before I suffer? For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, the New Covenant, in my blood, which is shed for you. So here we have, um, whether you think it's a Passover Seder, Passover, then there he's eaten with his disciples, or just a last supper. Either way, he makes it pretty clear that um, his blood will be shed, and it is the blood of that new covenant. And so, just as in the first uh, Passover, they shed the blood of the Lamb, that his blood as the Lamb of God will be shed, which will uh, inaugurate or begin this this renewed this new covenant that God makes with His people Israel. And if you notice, when we read in Jeremiah, th- there's only two people groups in there. there. Notice, there's no strangers, there's no third party. There's Israel and there's Judah, right? And so, uh, and they were the only two people groups in the in that covenant. And the covenant wasn't. Anything different. It didn't change, right? The stipulations, the ketubah, you could say, the marriage contract. it Nothing went away. Nothing was changed. It was the same thing. What was different? The difference is the people will keep it, and it will be written on their hearts. And no man will have to teach his neighbor anymore. Do you know Yehovah? For all men will know me. And so, when Yeshua came and he died, this began this process of God renewing the hearts of his people, such that they will keep his covenant and he writes it on their hearts. And it's been that way from the beginning. All those who have been born again and saved uh, by the blood of the Messiah because he was the lamb slain from the beginning of the world. So in God's eyes, we tend to look at things as this linear timeline stretching from beginning to end. In God's eyes, it's already happened. Right? And so uh, people have been saved the same way from the beginning of time until the, world, until the end of time. And it's by the blood of Yeshua. And um, that's how they become his people. So, as you uh, observe Passover coming up um, next week, I don't know. Keep all these things in mind, and um, you know. So, as as uh, the cool thing is, as you know, generations past used to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. You know, to redeem his people for the redemption to take place. Our Messiah has come. And he has redeemed us. And we wait for his um, um, second coming. When it says, uh, until the kingdom of God shall come. Because he says he's not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come. And they asked him, when will the kingdom become to Israel? And uh, like I've said before, the fascinating thing to me is he doesn't answer that question. He just says, take heed no man see you." you. Know? In other words, cling to what I've already taught you and I've told you until the end.
1: Yes. I don't know if I had zoned out if you said this. So when Yeshua says this is the uh, new covenant in my blood, did you, can you elaborate on the new covenant in my blood? Well, I think it, it it's exactly what
0: it says is that you know I'm not sure. What do you mean? What are you looking for an answer?
1: Well, connecting it to John Jeremiah, where it talks about the new covenant, right. Israel and Judah becoming one. Right. When he says this is the new covenant in my blood. Is this is he what's what's he saying in there? I, I get kind of confused on this myself. I mean is he saying, okay guys we're renewing the covenant, this is a renewed covenant, is is this like he did in Deuteronomy the next generation? Just right. like what you're saying that it has to be renewed in each generation. When he says this is because Christianity says, okay, Jesus started a New Testament different from the Old Testament. Right, right. Whereas he's saying this is... It's, the- really,
0: uh, it's really what he was doing there is a fulfillment of what the prophets have said, that one day one will come and he will die and he will take away the sins of our, of our people and will gather back in the exiles and re- reunite the people... Which is can only be done by God himself so it's the beginning of jeremiah
1: 31
0: I believe so yeah and and the, and the to, reuniting to of the tribes to
1: become the one Israel right inaugurating that I believe aspect so of the prophecy
0: yeah exactly yeah because that was what part of the whole thing was them going out to uh gather in the Gentiles those that were scattered abroad whether they're grafted in or they're regrafted in you know if they were part of the scattered tribes or if they were Never part of the scattered tribes, and so they're all being grafted back in, and so he's reuniting his people and and taking away their sins, which has caused this
1: exile to happen, and uh, to rebuild, you know, the kingdom to rebuild the people. So we know he's not starting something new. He's not doing away. I mean, I know this, but I'm still no. He's right. Right. No,
0: he's fulfilling those things that were prophesied for him to do, which are taking away the sins of Israel because they had just run amok in their chaos and their sin uh, and and the consequences of that sin, the exile which would imply and does imply the reuniting of the two houses of Israel uh, being gathered back together uh, in their hearts first because that's what has to happen and then eventually corporately in the land with
1: him back on the throne and do you think um, that, see, being Christian for so long, my, it all gets distorted. So do you think basically, in essence, as we look back in hindsight, he knows the temple's going to be destroyed, no more sacrifices, you're not going to be able to sacrifice the lamb anymore. As a matter of fact, you guys are going to be way out there. Right? Right. So I've done this completed, finished work. This is the beginning of the prophecy. Where the two that are out there now, scattered, they're going to... Now begins a process of hence why the Holy Spirit is such a manifest way, because they're going to be going outside the land. Yeah. There's going to be this engathering of the one. Hey, heads up, this is it. Right. Yeah, I think exactly right.
0: And I think part of what, what went on with the destruction of the temple, well, one, you know, he is our Passover lamb now. And so he is the one that intercedes for us on behalf in the heavenly tabernacle, right? Because he's as we read in Revelation, he's the slain lamb up there. And so our sins are laid on him because it, the, God knowing that the temple was going to be destroyed. And I think a large part of the reason the temple was destroyed is because it had become an, um, an idol under itself almost. So instead of it being just that thing which... Um, facilitates the the coming together between God and his people in his presence that it needed to be destroyed in in its current form. And it will be rebuilt again, I believe, just, I think, very much like the tabernacle was built, it was born forth out of the hearts of the people who had a relationship with God, and so they gave willingly to build it so that God could dwell in their presence again as the corporate body again and so while we're still all scattered obviously hasn't happened yet but god is um you know part of the beginning of it was the messiah coming and dying and even if you read some rabbinic literature they even say you know uh he will come and die and if we are not worthy he will go away and return again they even say that in a lot of their writings because it's not time yet you know it's not ready yet he only he knows when it'll be time um because they even stood around, you know, after he went up into heaven waiting around, you know, thinking maybe it'll happen. And uh, But they had, hit. they had to go to the other most parts of the earth, you know,
1: and slowly gather these hearts. Yes? Okay, so another question. Uh, and I know we talk, you know, I talk a lot about this, but I, I can't ever get things straight. And based on what you just said, um, do you think, and this is just your opinion, unless you have an answer, so, you know, like what you just said, which always resonates with me. It's going to be born out of the hearts of the people. So we also have the Temple Institute creating and making all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, just your personal opinion. I mean, I don't think you and I have ever talked about this. I kind of have a personal opinion, but I, I don't know that I trust myself in my personal opinions like this. I mean... And there may not be an answer to that. We're all agag, agag, because, ooh, look, they're, they're preparing all this stuff. Right, right, right. I mean, to me, can I just say what I think and sure. then shoot it yeah. all down? Yeah, Because I don't know if I'm right or not, right. but I'm wanting you to do I, I tend to think, you know, Yeshua doesn't need all this preparation. If he actually wanted to, he could come back and poof, the temple. You know, it, it, is it going to be a, a tent? Is it going to be a tabernacle? You know, does it, it's a temple institute being used of God? I mean, there may not be the answer, but my mind says, I don't, I, I don't, nah, no, you know.
0: Yeah, I, my, I don't have any. Yeah, this is all speculative opinion, I guess, on my part, because no one really knows. My kind of feeling, for whatever it's worth, is I'm not sure that that is going to be. You know the temple, which you sure returns to. I mean, maybe it'll be because I don't know. Because it seems like it seems as though a, a temple is going to be rebuilt, and there's going to be the
1: abomination of desolation set up inside it. So that could be simply a tent. I heard one guy say. It doesn't right, happen. it may so not even have ha- to be right a rebuilt temple. Because if you think about a rebuilt yeah. temple before you show up, that's going to take years and years and years. Right.
0: So as far as I don't know I mean then there's other people that say, well, it's actually just going to be people and it's not yeah. going to be a physical building I don't know that I buy that I think there is going to be a physical building, but when that exactly all happens I, I don't know it's, I'm not I don't have
1: a clear picture in my head of how all of that's going to unfold um, and I don't know if you want to stop the recording because it's going crazy or keep going yeah. but you know I just I want to think. As well intentioned as Rabbi Chaim is, and all these people, yeah. It's, and I could be totally wrong. I'm just airing my stupid thoughts, but I just have a hard time to thinking that Yeshua is going to be worshiping at a place where a bunch of unsaved people—I mean, he may do it in spite of them—basically get together who don't believe in Yeshua, because Yeshua said. What got me thinking on this is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And and I just want to think that somehow, as you just said, it's going to be born out of the hearts of the people. Somehow, that are His people. Yeah. And you know, and that could be totally wrong. It really doesn't matter. But these are things that I I like to struggle with. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I mean, He may use what they're doing in spite of them. I don't know. You know. I don't know, time will tell. I always, you know, there's a fine line, I guess, to me, between, you know, mankind doing something of their own works, of their own, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. Not that that isn't a relative, uh, pertinent thing for us to do, obviously, but, you know, I personally believe that the rebuilding of the kingdom is, is the believer's. It's not those who don't accept him.
1: Because he says when you think not, you know, when you're not thinking about then the Son of Man is going to come. You know, everybody's going to be saying, look here, look here, look here, look here. Well, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. You know, I just, I I don't know. These are just my crazy thoughts, but I never, either we don't have enough time, or, you know, i just airing out. I mean, how's it really going to be? You know, when they're saying peace, peace. You know, it's not going to be then. It's going to come. Right. as
0: a thief in the night, perhaps? I don't know. Yeah, to
1: the, well, the thief spends the night to those who don't know him. Yeah, Right, but still, but I still mean, yeah. you have a bunch of people that don't know him building all these things, getting the Temple Institute ready to build because, you know, they're getting ready for him. And, and so the messengers <coughs> are saying, look, Rabbi Kaim and the Temple Institute are doing all this stuff. And I'm just wondering, is this somewhat of a diversion, not intentionally and, and not even well or ill-meaning, but it's becoming another diversion to get us off, our focus off, maybe, of where it should be, because it's going to not... I I don't
0: know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I think think there's too much, yeah, put into, not that we shouldn't know, but end times stuff to the detriment of us um, doing what we should be in our daily lives, you know, with our neighbor and our family. And, and personal lives and all these things, um, because I think all of that's going to come together as it should be naturally when when the people are where where they should be, you know. Whether that comes really quickly through
1: persecution or something, which could be, or more organically over time. And, and can I go back to that? You know, you should say, "I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me." so I was in the Hague because he's gone through Hebrews. And I think part of where we're also in the Messianic movement, and well-intentioned being a little confused, is we're kind of thinking, well, somebody like Nehemiah Nehemia Gordon. Well, surely somehow God sees the sincerity of his heart, and, you know, look at his gun. He had that experience on on the fake Mount Corb, because that's where he could go. But he, he, he genuinely... I mean, I listened to the thing years ago, and well, you know, I mean, it was, I wish most believers could have had a testimony like that, yes. and I started to get confused myself, but, not confused, but start wondering, oh, is there some other, does God kind of wink in a nod and say, yeah, you guys believe in God, but it has to always be, right, from the beginning, through all ages, right now, nobody gets to the Father except through Yeshua, mm-hmm. you know, did they know his name back in the Old Testament? Was Yeshua? I want to kind of think so because of Joshua, and his name's pretty close to Yeshua, and yeah. and I think there's definitive things, perhaps, pointing to the fact that that Messiah that's going to come kind of has this identification markers to him, <coughs> and so they believe by faith in the coming Messiah, we believe in the come in the Messiah that has come. So whether just you know Rabbi Chaim and all is good, and, and you know what I'm saying. I right, mean, there's right. no way. So Nehemia Gordon. As much as we want to welcome him into our fold, he is lost. Yeah, Because he yeah. does not believe in Yeshua. He no, thinks he doesn't. he's a historical person. Right. And he might have come and did good things, right. but he does not accept. He rejects Yeshua as Messiah. And the line has to be clearly delineated, and it's got muddied in the Messianic movement because we want, as you said, our warm fuzzies mm-hmm. of connecting to this body of people right. that we so long have long been looked to. Right. But Yeshua is the line of demarcation. We can never, ever lose it.
0: Right. And, and we have to understand, too, that we are that body of people. You know, it's not the Jews, so to speak. It's though many Jewish people that believe and follow him are. But, w- you know, we are his body. You know, we are uh, God's Israel. Those who have the testimony of Yeshua and keep his commandments. You know, those are the two delineating markers. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, uh, people like uh, Nehemiah or Rabbi Chaim, as much as their knowledge, biblical knowledge, uh, can't have a lot of truth in it, that doesn't make them approved in God's eyes, you know. And, um, and unfortunately, people like them have actually been a big... Uh, problem within the messianic movement because people get enamored with them and their knowledge and tradition and this that and another thing, and end up walking away from Yeshua and denying him and converting to Judaism, you know.
1: And uh, which interestingly, I think the whole book of Hebrews, which is somewhat rejected in the messianic movement, was written back then because they were facing the same things right. that people were walking away from Yeshua because of the persecution because it was costing them of their family members. They felt alone by this. And, and so the author of Hebrews writes this book says, Hey, what's happening? Where are you going? It's only in Yeshua. It's not by anything else. And to me, it's fascinating that the Messianic movement is struggling with the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews is pivotal. Yeah. And I think only those that are kind of waffling on this Yeshua thing and the deity and his shed blood and that's it, the book of Hebrews speaks... Too emphatically towards that in his yeah. high priesthood and all this stuff. Yeah,
0: and if and if Yeshua, which I believe in, and know that he is the promised Messiah, when you read the prophecies of the of the uh, in the Tanakh, you know to reject the Messiah that God sent him coming to do this for his people to save them from the sin that has separated them from their God and caused all this chaos. You know, to reject that is is to reject God.
1: Well, he said, he should have said, if you don't know me, you don't know the Father. That's if you don't right. believe in me, you don't believe in the Father. Right. You know, like I said between you and I, somebody needs to tell Nehemiah, no, you do not believe in God. Right. Although he talks about God and is a big proponent of God, Yeshua said, you don't know me, you don't know the Father, you don't right. believe in me, you don't believe in him. Right. So Nehemiah does not believe in and yeah. we're so afraid in the Messianic movement to say these things because we're going to offend people or hurt people's feelings. Yeah. This to me is the hard truth, and it all hinges on Passover. Yeah, it just all hinges on what He did.
0: Right, and that's why Passover is the first festival of the year, and what kicks it all off and begins everything. You know, you have to be be transformed to be God's. One of God's children to walk out his ways. And um, so, yeah. Thanks for bearing Yeah, yeah. All right, let's pray and close. Heavenly Father God, I just thank you for this word. And I uh, thank you for the Shabbat. And I just pray that as we uh, lead up to Passover, that you would just continue to work and prepare in our hearts and minds to serve you, to obey you, and to be transformed and uh, walk out your ways in our lives. And I thank you for what Yeshua and Messiah did us and purchasing us, purchasing us by his blood. So I thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.